The Network Live. News, insights, and stories right here on KNEL 95.3 FM and KNELradio.com every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Don't miss this opportunity to hear world news, insights, and stories from guests around the world. The Network Live is your pathway to connecting people and ministries. Good morning and welcome to the Network Live. I'm your host, Debbie Rule. Today we're going to be hearing a testimony from someone in Celebrate Recovery. This is Jamie from Hilltop Church in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. I hope you enjoy this testimony today of how God can be a redeeming God. Hi, my name is Jamie. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ and I celebrate recovery over drugs, alcohol, and spiritual death. Hi, guys. I was born Thanksgiving Day, November 22nd, 1984, in Fontana, California. My parents owned a successful acoustical T-bar ceiling company, which meant that although we weren't rich, we never had to live poor either. I was born into a family that was part of a Southern California chapter of an MC biker club. As far back as I can remember, my life was surrounded by drunken chaos of garage parties, back patio brawls between brothers of the club, motorcycles in our living room, playing arcade games and dive bars while my dad got drunk, and violence against my mom that no child should ever have to witness. You never knew which dad you were gonna get. It always depended on whether he had drank beer or liquor that day. I can recall so vividly almost every night how my mom would spend her time and effort making dinner for my dad, only for him to come home drunk and angry for no reason and either feed her dinner to the dog or paint the walls with it. I can see him as I think about it now, trashing everything in the house, destroying the kitchen, tearing TVs down, smashing them on the back patio, and forcing my mom to go out in the middle of the night to buy new ones. My mom wasn't an alcoholic like my father. When I think back on it, I often think that at most times she drank with my dad because she knew that if she didn't, things would be a lot worse. She was always submissive and spent all of her time and energy walking on eggshells and trying to smooth things over so as not to infuriate him. I learned at a really young age how to pick up on a lot of these character behaviors that my mom exuded. I learned how to be the type of child that could read my dad and alter my personality and behavior to be who he needed me to be in that moment so as not to upset him. I guess you could say I became a chameleon. The morning after a night of serious abuse, life went on as if nothing had happened. My mom always went on about her business, bruises covered in makeup, as though things were fine. Our family was pretty good at sweeping things under the rug. At 10, my dad moved me, my mom, my older brother, and my nephew, who my parents had taken in as a baby, to Parker, Arizona. That age was so nerve-wracking. I remember when the bell would ring after school, I'd get nervous as I got on the bus to go home. The uncertainty of what chaos would be waiting was awful. You could always tell if my dad was drunk when you got off the bus because you could hear the surround sound blaring rock music from the bus stop. I remember the last time my dad physically assaulted my mom. I was about 14 or 15 years old. In previous years, every time his violence would start, us kids would escape to our rooms and try not to hear what was happening. This time I didn't do that. This time I stayed and I stood up for my mom. I remember he let go of her in that moment. I'm not sure if my reaction or words really affected him, but I can't remember a time after that that my dad put his hands on my mom. That's not to say that the emotional and mental chaos in our household didn't continue for many years to come. I often asked to stay the night at a friend's house to escape my home life. I really liked staying at one friend's house in particular because her mom would buy us these massive bottles of vodka and let us get drunk. 
I liked the way drinking made me feel. I was able to forget for a short amount of time just how sad my life really felt. It probably wouldn't surprise you to find out that by the time I was in high school, I was a rip-roaring, angry mess of a teenager. Being 16 years old with my own car, an evening job at my dad's friend's bar, no real good examples in my life, and a ton of emotional baggage that I had no idea I was even carrying with me that at that time was probably the worst possible recipe for a young adult trying to learn how to make good decisions. It's not like I could turn to my drunken dad to ask for advice. This was a man who I could, at that time, count on one hand in my entire life had ever said words like, congratulations, good luck, I'm proud of you, or I believe in you. How was I going to ask that guy for words of wisdom? And my mom, she tried. Unfortunately, with all of her time spent spicing an alcoholic husband, she became a pushover, a yes mom. I think she often said yes to things that maybe weren't the best ideas solely because she knew that it would make us happy for a moment amongst the chaos. I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrase, just don't tell your dad. And what's even more unfortunate is that I learned to manipulate her in the process. I became a rebellious, lying, wild partying, promiscuous teenager. I sought out in the opposite sex the love that my worldly father had failed to show me. I became the girl who gave her boyfriend whatever he wanted because I believed that that was the only way for someone to truly love me. I remember being at a house party on the river and in a drunken stupor physically injured my knee. Our local family doctor immediately prescribed me a large amount of an opiate painkiller every month. I remember how good they made me feel. Within 20 minutes of taking those pills, I felt like I could take over the world. I remember thinking that this feeling must be what all those happy normal people feel like. It was almost from the gate that I started abusing them. I remember one time my dad getting up in the medicine cupboard in the kitchen and getting upset with me at how little amount of pills were left in a bottle that we had just recently picked up. I, of course, lied to him and told him that I had shared the medication with other people. We never seemed to come back to the issue again. You know, my brother, who was a couple years older than me, had been going through abusing pain medications for a couple of years by that time. You would think that that would have been a sign of what not to do for me, but... I only used his experience to justify my own. His addiction was always a little further ahead than mine. I remember thinking things like, well, at least I'm only taking Vicodin and not Oxys like my brother. As both of our addictions progressed over the years, I would continue to go back to that rationalization that at least I wasn't as deep as my brother was. My decision-making skills at that time were so all over the place. I would go from experimenting with drugs like marijuana, cocaine, ecstasy, and meth to becoming part of the Miss America organization. At 16 years old, I won the crown of Miss La Paz County and was in the running for Miss Arizona the following season. However, with my superb decision-making skills, I moved to Lake Havasu to move in with my high school boyfriend at 17 years old and within a couple of short months became pregnant. I remember my mom being so emotionally crushed when I told her. She was so sad that I had been on this amazing path with the Miss America organization and now I would have to give my crown to the first runner-up to run in my place. To be honest, I felt okay with it. I felt like I was about to have a baby and start a family full of love like I had always wanted. Unfortunately, my son's father was not on the same page as me. At seven months pregnant, he left me for my best friend, and I was left to worry about caring for a child on my own. I was crushed. At that time, it felt like the worst pain I'd ever felt. I moved back to Parker and into the second home that my parents owned. I started working as an office manager at a local business, and I tried to just stay focused on preparing for my son. During this time, I met the man who would become my first husband. I remember thinking to myself that he was the exact opposite of everything my son's father had been, and with my young, immature processing skills, told myself that because of that, 
he would surely love me right. We started dating immediately after my son was born. A year and a half later, I had my second child. I remember thinking to myself that I absolutely had to marry this man. In fact, I remember at one point my mom trying to tell me that it wasn't mandatory to get married. I remember telling her that here I was with two children by two different men and that no one would ever love me again with all that baggage. Shortly after marriage, he changed. He became unbelievably controlling, picked fights with me on a regular basis, and as a last straw had put his hands on me. I had promised him before we got married that if he had ever put his hands on me, I would leave without question. He knew that I had witnessed so much violence as a child and that I refused to ever be with someone who would do that to me. So I left, we filed for divorce. Throughout our marriage, I had struggled with my pill addiction on and off. I did a lot of doctor shopping and I had even worked at a doctor's office that had no issue with prescribing me the medications that I wanted for a long period of time. Now that everything in my life had seemed to fall apart and I was starting over, my addiction ran rampant. I was taking so many medications that the doctor I worked for began to refuse my refills. I was so sick without those pills that I made a decision to start calling the medications into the pharmacy myself. During that same time, my mom had convinced me that I should get my tubes tied and really focus on building a life for me and my two boys. I agreed. I was in beauty school and working and the last thing I needed was an unplanned pregnancy. So we scheduled the surgery. It was the day before surgery when the office called and informed me that they couldn't tie my tubes because my pregnancy test had come back positive. Seriously? <laughs> I had only been seeing this guy a really short period of time. It wasn't serious. I thought this couldn't be happening to me. I sat him down that night and we discussed things and made a decision to work, it, work together. With each of my pregnancies, as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I was always able to stop doing any drugs or prescriptions right away. However, my addiction had gotten so heavy at that point that the withdrawals were awful, so I planned to wean myself off instead of stopping abruptly. Before I had the chance to finish weaning myself off of the pills, I was busted for fraudulent prescriptions. I was charged with nine counts of a class three felony, which meant I was facing a possible 20-year sentence. However, it was the first felony case I had ever had against me, which meant that they were willing to work with me, drop eight of those charges, and place me on probation. I just had to do right, so I did. I was off the pills and feeling great. I finished cosmetology school and received my license. I started working at a great salon. I was making a living and really building a life. Two months after my third son was born, my mom was killed in a single car rollover accident. She had fallen asleep at the wheel. The night before her death, I had driven myself and my newborn son down to Parker to surprise her and stay the night. I sometimes wonder if I had just not bugged her that night, if she would have gotten enough rest to not be tired on her drive the next morning. I remember waking up to my dad calling from California. I remember him telling me that she had been in an accident. My first reaction was to ask what hospital she was at so that I could hurry up and get there. I remember my dad yelling at me to stop and telling me that she hadn't made it. There had never been a pain that I had experienced in my entire life that ever came close to the pain I was experiencing in that moment. She was my best friend. I thought to myself there was no way this could be happening and that someone had to be wrong, but they weren't. She was gone. The first thing I did was take all the money in my wallet, walk across the street to the dope dealer's house and buy as many pills as I could get. I stayed numb for a really long time after that. I had to. There I was at 23 years old and I was going to have to watch my mom be lowered into the ground. There was no way I was gonna be able to face that without something to ease the pain. And so the vicious cycle began again. The obsession and the compulsion to stay high was constant. 
I remember my belief in God changed the day she was buried. I remember thinking that there was no God because I wouldn't have been through so many terrible things in my lifetime and he wouldn't have taken her if there was. The reality was that it was easier for me to say that there was no God than to admit that I was just angry with him. With my downward spiral of active addiction, again, came more impulsive decision-making. I had gone to my mother's grave site. I remember crying out to her because I was so lost again that I didn't know how to get out. I begged that if she could hear me, I needed help to stop. Thinking back on it, I should probably be more detailed in my prayers. I found that it doesn't always come in the form you might have been hoping for. One week later, my probation was revoked. I was arrested and placed in jail. Here was my help. I was given two options. I could accept two years in prison for my fraudulent prescription charges, or I would be charged with two more felonies, ultimately forcing them to give me nine years flat time. My children were five, three, and two years old. I couldn't take the chance of receiving nine years if I fought this case. So I spent the next two years in the Perryville Women's Prison. During my time in prison, I remember some women having found this relationship with God. I was still so angry that I had lost my mom, been through so much, had been a victim my whole life that I refused to be available for any of those scriptures to enter my heart. I told myself I didn't need God's help. I would do this on my own. During my stay in prison, my dad had sued Ford Motor Company for a wrongful death suit for my mom's accident. It was settled out of court for a large sum of money. When I came home, I was so angry that people had placed a monetary value on my mom's life that I refused to touch it. It took a month or two before my dad sat me down one morning and told me that if he had died instead of my mom, she would have done the same thing to make sure that us kids were taken care of. In that moment, he asked me to take the money and do something with it that my mother would have been proud of. So I decided to open a salon. I loved being a salon owner. If there was anything I was ever good at, it was hair. We saw quick success. Unfortunately, though, as an addict who doesn't know they're an addict with a large amount of money, probably a bad recipe. My boyfriend at the time was in a pretty bad accident and was prescribed opiate medications. I remember him telling me that he would refuse the medication if it was going to be an issue around me. I had been off of the pills for a couple of years by that time and was a successful business owner. I had convinced myself that it was not going to be an issue and he was going to need the medication. The problem with that was that I had still to that day didn't consider myself an addict had never worked a program, never realized how weak I was on my own, never knew how much I was bottling up inside and sweeping under the rug, and I was still living in pride and ego, always convincing myself that I was strong enough. Spoiler alert, I'm not. Before long, I was back on the pills, going deeper and deeper and eventually becoming heavily addicted to methadone, trying to get off of them but always giving in because of the withdrawals. I had shared my struggles with a client one day, I remember this client telling me that she had something that would help me go through the detox of the pills while still having the energy to keep my salon open. Whatever this was was going to be perfect. She handed me a bag of methamphetamine. I had to give it to her. Her remedy worked. I was off the pills. But unfortunately, I was now addicted to the street drug called meth. It was an unbelievably fast and violent downward spiral from that point on. Before long, I was trying the heroin that people were using at my dope dealer's house leading to the use of both drugs every day, all day long, to the point of self-destruction. I broke up with my boyfriend, married the newest boyfriend in Vegas after two months of dating, crashed two vehicles nodding out from so many drugs in my system, had several seizures from overdoses, lost my salon, my home, my cars, the husband, and my kids. In the process of all this, I also picked up a new felony case. Seeing that I had priors, the law mandates that I go back to prison. But somehow, they hadn't found my priors until we were already in the middle of sentencing. 
Because of the prosecutor's slip up, the judge stood by the plea agreement and I was sentenced to a rehab program in Yuma, Arizona. This four month rehabilitation program was a faith-based program. Here was that God stuff again. It was at this time in 2014 that I experienced my first Celebrate Recovery at a place called the Hope Center. I spent the next four months experiencing moments of the love of God, all the while blocking it by holding on to my victim mentality and the anger and hurt of losing my mom. I never fully surrendered. I never truly accepted Jesus Christ in my heart. I moved back to Lake Havasu with six months of clean time under my belt. Here I was, starting over again from scratch. My life didn't seem to be coming together quick enough financially, and so I went back to what I knew made me quite a lot of money over the years, bartending. I was working this program at the time. It was truly changing a lot of who I was. I had worked step one. That one was easy. Clearly, anyone could tell that I was powerless and my life had become unmanageable. Now we were on to steps two and three. Had I come to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity in step two? If there was a God, he clearly didn't care about me, and I didn't want anything to do with him. And step three, making a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, that was not happening. I could still do this on my own. With almost two years of clean time under my belt, with my two oldest children back in my life, working several jobs, financially stable, living in my own place and driving my own car again, I made a decision that I was strong enough to be normal and have a drink. It wasn't very long at all before I was back on drugs again. It seems to me that each and every time I go out to that life, it's worse than the last time. And let me tell you now that using drugs while you have a head full of recovery is the most awful state to be in. Yet again, I lost my home, my car, my jobs, my dignity, and my children. I literally watched it all fall apart, one thing at a time, and I could not stop myself. I was in the vicious cycle of the getting, using, and finding ways and means to get more. Nothing else mattered. My family didn't matter. My job didn't matter. My children didn't matter. All I knew was that I needed the drugs more than anything else in the world, and even then, I still didn't feel good. I couldn't come across enough drugs to make me feel better. I had begun using intravenously in hopes that that would get me high enough to feel better. All that did was intensify my addiction and my pain more than it had ever been. No matter what I did, I felt empty and worthless and broken. So many times I tried to get clean again and failed. So many times I hoped that that last shot of drugs would take me away from all this pain only to come to 10 to 12 hours later and still be breathing. There is a worse pain than death, the pain of spiritual death. Being alive and wishing you were not, nothing compares to that kind of pain. On October 1st of 2018, I overdosed in the front seat of a friend's car. He had no idea what to do with me, so he rushed me from the north side of town to the hospital. It took two shots of Narcan and being shocked with the defibrillator several times to bring me back. I remember the peace and serenity and that stillness that I felt before they brought me back. I had never felt anything like it in my entire life. I wished that they had left me there. The doctors found heroin on me while saving my life and called the police. There's a law in the state of Arizona that protects me from being charged with anything found on me during life-saving measures. However, the officer that came to the hospital had known me from my previous marriage to one of his coworkers. He heard me tell the nurse I needed to leave to get high. So he made a decision to arrest me anyways in hopes of saving my life. I, of course, manipulated my brother into bailing me out of jail and used for another week after that. There are no words to properly depict that kind of insanity. During that week, I placed myself in some very deadly situations with some very dangerous people that I'm still uncertain how I walked away from. On October 10th, just nine days after my almost fatal overdose, I was arrested again on the fourth felony case in a matter of just a couple of months. 
Here I was, yet again, detoxing on the concrete floor of a cold jail cell. This time I was facing two-year enhancements for each new arrest and was looking at a minimum of eight and a half years flat. This time in jail was different than any other. I mean, I had been pretty low in the past, pretty humiliated, pretty ashamed, embarrassed, hurting and sad. But this time, I was empty. I had crossed almost every line I swore I never would, had crushed my children's hearts time and time again, had disappointed and lost every single person I had ever loved or cared for, and lost everything I had ever owned. The pain in my heart was so intense that my chest physically ached. I wasn't even sure if I identified as a person anymore. I had tried every worldly option of changing my life. I had tried limiting my partying, only drinking and no drugs, only doing it at home. I had been to jails, rehabilitation centers, changed geographical locations, changed partners, changed behaviors, changed careers, and yet nothing, absolutely nothing repaired the God-sized hole in my heart. This time I thought to myself, I already wish I was dead. I have nothing left to lose. Maybe it's time that I give this God thing a serious try. So I got myself a Celebrate Recovery Bible. Thank God this program reaches the incarcerated. At first, I struggled. I struggled with praying to this God I didn't even know. I struggled with reading this Bible full of scriptures that I couldn't understand. I struggled with the racing, distracting thoughts of the 34 years of painful memories in my head. I struggled with the anxiety every time I tried to spend a moment with God. I wondered if I was praying right or if he was even listening after everything I had done. But I stayed with it. I started to notice that each time I would sit down to spend time in my Bible or in prayer, that things would happen to distract me. The jail would get louder, a fight would break out, a cell search or a lockdown would happen. A thought had occurred to me that perhaps this was the enemy's intent to distract me and keep me separated from God. Here's what I now know to be true. The devil doesn't waste bullets. So if he's coming after you, it's because he knows how valuable your purpose is to the kingdom of God. The enemy had kept me in his grips for so long serving him, and here I was, army crawling my way out of the pits of hell by getting closer to God. The devil was scared. So I stuck with my Bible reading and prayers, no matter the distractions. My heart began to feel lighter. I felt positive and happy in jail of all places. As my court date got closer and closer, I continued to pray. Only now my prayers were shifting. I was no longer praying foxhole prayers for God to get me out of this. Now I was praying that if God needed me in prison for eight and a half years, that I would do my time serving him and spreading his word. I went to court that day, and by an act of God alone, I was given probation. The prosecutor's office had slipped up. Didn't catch it until I had already signed to accept it. I was starting to see a pattern here. In that moment, it was unbelievably clear that God had always been and continues to always be my fighter and protector. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I was released from jail December 21st, 2018, and immediately entered a faith-based sober living home in Kingman called Angel Manor. Through Angel Manor, I began attending regularly the Celebrate Recovery Program at Kingman Central Church. I was baptized in February of this year at Celebrate Recovery and gave my life to Christ. Has it been a perfect walk since coming to know Christ? Absolutely not. I spent a good chunk of time still practicing my worldly behaviors, finding myself still trying to do God's job, be in control, and repair my own life. In the process, it caused a relapse six and a half months ago. 
I thought I could drink again, blacked out, and woke up being revived from another overdose. This time I got on my knees on the bathroom floor. I lifted my hands to God and I begged him to reveal himself to me like never before. I told him that I wasn't sure when I had stopped listening again, but I was listening now. I gave him everything in that moment on the bathroom floor. I told him I would freely give him my children, my finances, my pain, my family, my addiction, my tears, my need for companionship, and most importantly, my heart. I told him I wanted only to follow him and fulfill his purpose for me, and all I asked for was the strength to carry that purpose out each day. Since that day, my life and heart have been filled with a peace and joy like I've never known. It's sad to think that just over a year ago, I was wishing that doctors had left me dead because I could not foresee the healing that Jesus Christ would pour over my heart if I just became available for him. God has blessed me so much in the last six months. He has surrounded me with like-minded Christ followers to inspire my faith on a regular basis. He has removed the scales from my eyes so that I can see things so clearly. He has poured strength and courage into my heart to share my story without shame or guilt. He has answered my prayer for a softening of my dad's heart, and today we are closer than we have ever been. He has given me my 16-year-old son back under the same roof, and our relationship continues to get better and better as I watch him let go of his own anger and resentments. He has begun a restoration with my middle son. Unfortunately, I still do not have my youngest son in my life at all, but I serve a powerful God who's in the business of restoration. So I set aside the pain of missing him, and today I stay focused on being who God needs me to be at any given moment and allow him to handle the restoration that his word promises. God has blessed me with a position in an amazing company doing what I love to do. It also allows me enough time to be a servant for his kingdom. God has brought an amazing man into my life who is a believer and follower of Christ. He's generous, hardworking, loving, and fully supportive of my walk with Christ and the most encouraging man I've ever known. God knew exactly what I needed even when I didn't. A little over a year ago, I was suffering in a pain like I'd never known, a spiritual bankruptcy that had eaten my soul. This was the person I had become. Today, I stand before you resurrected from that death. Celebrate recovery brought into my life something that I have never experienced before, a new breath of life. Celebrate Recovery taught me that it was okay to not be okay. For a long time, I thought I needed to get myself cleaned up before I came to God, and what I found out was God wanted me to come to him in all my mess and let him clean me up. The members of Celebrate Recovery, both new and old, showed me love when I had no idea how to love myself. They taught me how to share the healing of a warm embrace with others like me. I have become someone who inspires others in their hope and their walk in faith. I have been transformed by a renewing of my mind. God, through Celebrate Recovery, has made me a light in the darkness, a walking example of the grace and mercy of our Heavenly Father. And today, because of that grace and mercy, God uses my story to inspire others to call on God for that same healing. I am not special. I did not receive something rare or unavailable to others. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is a promise from God. It is available to all of his children, no matter how far from him you've gone. If you're hurting tonight, I want you to know there is hope in Christ. All you have to do is ask. Thank you for letting me share. 
New in 2022, have you or someone you've known been dealing with hurts, habits, or hangups? Are you looking for a place where others understand and admit that we all need a better way to live life? Heart of Texas Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step recovery program designed to help deal with past hurts, unhealthy habits, and hang-ups that keep us from successful living. Celebrate Recovery is not just for those dealing with addictions to drugs and alcohol. Celebrate Recovery is much more. Anger issues, insecurities, codependency, abuse, fear, anxiety, divorce. Celebrate Recovery helps us all find freedom, support, healing, peace, and new life. Heart of Texas Celebrate Recovery meets Thursdays at 6 o'clock p.m. at the Heart of Texas Event Center located at 804 San Angelo Highway. We look forward to you joining us this Thursday at 6 o'clock. What is in your future is so much better than what's in your past. The time is now to come and celebrate with us. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you would like to hear a rebroadcast of the network live, visit knelradio.com or find our podcast on iTunes and podbean.com. To follow more news, insights, and stories, follow the network live on Facebook. If you would like more information about being a guest on the network live, contact us at thenetworklive.org. The network live will be back next week at 10 a.m. right here on KNEO Radio 95.3 FM and KNEO Radio.com. I'm Debbie Rule. Thank you for listening today.